Uh, welcome to Connection Point Church. I'm excited. We are jumping back into the wonder, kind of mellowing in, it's, it felt like. But uh, I want to start off by saying, first of all, I'm up here on the stage because now that we've got the live stream, it's a little bit better of a view. But uh, part of the thing that makes this work is that y'all are close to me. And I've noticed the trend here that y'all seem to be getting further away. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I, I'm going to try to strategize, use some sort of strategy to get y'all to move forward, okay, in the coming weeks. So the first thing is um, I've got a gifts that I'm going to give to the people that are close. So Phil and Joan, I'm going to give y'all a gift. I can actually, and your guest, I'm going to give uh, a, a gift. So Phil, if you will, I've got two or three journals. Phil, you get one. And uh, I'm going to be giving some of these. Oh, you already got one. So never mind. Phil is going to give his to Mike. Uh, and so, because he's already got one as an elder. So these are uh, ESV. Yeah, Cindy, good try. Maybe next, hey, next week. And also for you on the back rows, I'm going to start making you the focus of all of my illustrations and jokes in the coming weeks, okay? All right. Some of you, though, and I know some of you are going to stay in the back row. But um, I give these, these are journals. So uh, it's the, just the text of Genesis. We're going through Genesis. Really, for the next year and a half, we're going to be in Genesis. And so uh, I'm going to be giving some of those away. You can get these also online on Amazon. It's not a big secret, but I do want you to take notes. And so a couple of things, not only can you take paper notes, which is good. Also, if you go to connectionpoint.life right now and you find uh, the sermons uh, or connection, it's .church now, excuse me. Uh, we're, by the way, redoing our website. So hang with us. But if you can find the sermons and the sermon notes, I've got illustrations. I've got some maps and stuff that we're not going to be able to have time for. I've got the whole text. I've got the outline. So if you, uh, the cool thing about doing it on uh, connectionpoint.church is you can actually hit take notes and at the end of it, you can write all your notes as you're doing it on your phone. And at the end, you can put your email address in and it'll email you all your notes and my notes as well. But it will not tell me that you did it. I will never know. It's just between you and whatever the service is that does that online. So the magic in the internets, okay? So today we are, are jumping back into Genesis and I'm so excited for this because we're in the life of Abram, okay? He's going to become known as Abraham, but right now he's just Abram and he had this call on God. And today we're going to be talking about a battle, actually a few battles that Abram fought. Now, I don't know about you, but when we talk about the Bible and fighting battles, you're like, man, I just can't relate because they're all fighting battles and I'm not really fighting battles. So I want to let you know, this is the only chapter that we find Abram fighting a battle. This is a very unusual thing, okay? And so we're going to be talking about the battles that we fight, and you do fight battles. And in fact, when I became a pastor, I didn't realize that I was going to have to be preparing to fight so many battles. You know, there are, of course, the spiritual battles, and, I, and those are just par for the course. But you know, over the course of, of the last 10, 20 years that I've been in ministry, I've had some crazy times. I want to share just two of them with you. You know, there was a time where we had some guests come, and they were beginning to plug in, and it was great getting to know them a little bit. And then one time, I just got a phone call from the, the woman, and she said, hey, I need you to get over here. My husband is drunk, and I think he's going about to, to beat me up. And so I, I like drove over. This was pre-jujitsu Joel also. So, you know, it was, it was kind of iffy. Now, no problem. No, now I'm waiting on that call. No, I'm just kidding. But it was one of those things where I, I was driving over there. I'm like, what the heck am I doing? You know what I mean? And I had to stand in this, the doorway 
between a man and his children and just like, listen, this, this is not gonna happen. And she's frightened. I was like, how? They did not teach me this in seminary. They never prepared me to fight a battle like this. You know, I once uh, got a phone call from a family that the, the lady called me and said, my husband's having an affair. And I was like, oh, how do you know? And she goes, well, he, he butt dialed me on the phone and I can hear right now he's having an affair. And like literally at that moment, she was listening to her husband having an affair. I went and called the, the husband, met with him later. And, and he, he was a, an ex-military guy. And he, when we're sitting down in Panera, I'm thinking to myself, I'm about to have to you know, run away real quick in Panera because this guy was, was, was ex-French military. He was a, an intimidating guy and he was talking so aggressive to me as I was trying to lead him to the Lord. And it was such an, a thing where I was like, how do you get yourself into these situations? It was just crazy. And then, I mean, there are a lot of stories that I don't have time for, but just these ideas of fighting battles, we all fight battles. And here's what I found as I deal with people that, that go through these external battles. I also know there is always an internal battle. Have you ever noticed that? That anytime you have circumstances hitting you, anytime you have, you know, your job is hard, anytime that you have uh, your relationships, maybe your marriage or maybe your friendships or whatever, your coworkers. Anytime you have these external things, your finances pressing down on you, all of a sudden in your mind, the battle within becomes even bigger. And all of the things that may not usually have gotten to you, they just begin to weigh and weigh and weigh. And so all of a sudden you begin to look around and you're like, you know what? I feel like I'm fighting battles all around. So today I want to make sure that we're clear as we jump into Abram. Abram, as we've been going through his life, he had this call from God and he, he upended everything. And he, he, he went to a, a land that's going to be known as the promised land. And it's, you know, it was promised to him, but it's a land that's called Canaan. And, and he's there, but he never settles down. He's a nomad. He, he has large herds by now and he's getting, you know, to be kind of a, a force to be reckoned with. He's got a lot of people. Uh, and in fact, the last chapter, if you don't remember a few uh, weeks ago or months ago, uh, he, he separated with his nephew Lot because they had just gotten so big and their herds were so big. But he's growing, but he's, he's just moving around within this area that God had promised him. And so he's wandering and wandering. But the thing that's so fascinating to me about Abram is even though he didn't have a city and he was surrounded by people who had cities, even though he, he didn't have walls around and every city at that time had walls around a protection, Abram was anchored more than any person I think you'll find in the Bible other than Jesus just about. You see, Abram had this faith that God was going to fulfill the promises in his life, no matter what, that even when we see him kind of wandering away from God, he'll quickly come to his senses and wander right back to him. And so one of the things I like about titling this The Wanderer is a lot of us feel like we're wandering in life. A lot of us, sometimes maybe your job isn't where you want it to be. Maybe your family isn't quite where you want it to be. Maybe you're single and you're just thinking, you know what? I feel like everyone else is in cities. Everyone else is building this, this foundation. And here I am, I'm a wanderer. But what I want you to see is the story of Abram. It shows us it doesn't matter what your situation in life is. If you feel like a wanderer, you can be anchored in God and you can be closer to God than anyone around you, even if it looks like they've got it all together. And every single time that somebody walks in and all of you in here, it's not just those crazy stories I just told you, it, every single one of us, when we come to church and we look normal, you look around, look how normal everyone looks, right? Everyone, y'all look around for a second. Look, everyone's so normal here. 
But the truth is we're all fighting. I mean, y'all are pointing to some people. Not everyone looks normal in this church, but, but every single one of us is fighting battles within and they're exacerbated by the, the battles we're fighting without. So that's what we're gonna see today when we go through this, uh, this story of Abram in chapter 14 of Genesis, okay? Now, I just wanted to start off by telling you this is a historical battle. Um, Teresa loves history, so I'm, gonna, uh, I'm actually gonna skip over a lot of the history because I know some of you, I, I could spend all day here, again. I think y'all know that. But um, there's a couple of firsts you need to know about this chapter, okay? The first thing is that this is the first time the word Hebrew is going to appear in the Bible, okay? Abram the Hebrew, okay? The word Hebrew, we don't really know why he's called the Hebrew, except for uh, it may be from Eber, which is the, the, the root word of Hebrew. And one of the uh, um, lineage of, of Abram was Eber. And so the sons of Eber, Hebrew might be a way of saying he was a son of Eber, just his lineage. It could be that the word comes from a root word that means ever or beyond. And so it could be that people would look at Abram and how big he was getting and say, hey, that's that family that's beyond the Jordan or beyond the East. Okay. And so we don't know, but he's for the first time called Hebrew. And this is going to go, all of his descendants are going to be called Hebrews from now on. Now, uh, there's also going to be the first time we see a priest, specifically a priest of Yahweh. That's the first mention of a priest is in this story. This is going to be the only chapter that we see where Abram doesn't specifically reference this blessing that God put on him uh, when we started in Genesis chapter 12, the story of Abram. This is the first time he's not going to talk directly with God. It's not going to say Abraham or Abram talked with God. But that doesn't mean he didn't talk with God. It's just the first time it's not going to be mentioned, okay? And this is the only time we're going to see him fight a battle. If you remember, he was a man of peace. In fact, the whole reason that he separated from his nephew Lot was because he wanted to make sure that they did not go and get, get crossways. He wanted to, to stay in good graces. So Abram is a man of peace. He goes, even with Pharaoh and everyone else, he's going to always try to pursue peace, except sometimes the battles just get you. And so that's what's gonna happen. So I just wanna describe the battle and we might jump into the text a little bit, but um, if this is your first time hearing this story, maybe you, you have never opened a Bible, I wanna let you know that you're probably in the same boat with most of the people that have grown up in church. This is a story that we don't always hear in church. Here's what's going on. There are five, okay, I want you to, we're gonna to try to remember this. There are four kingdoms in the east. Y'all hold up four, okay? Four kingdoms in the east. These are big kingdoms. These are gonna turn into Babylon. Shinar is gonna turn into Babylon. The Assyrian empire is gonna rise from one of these. Okay, the Hittite empire is gonna rise from one of these. The east is very powerful. Now there's this highway on the side of the Jordan River on the, on the side, what would be modern day Jordan. It's called the King's Highway. And along that are five city-states or five nations. And these are not as big as the, the ones from the east. We're gonna call these of them the, the west, okay? So there's five kingdoms in the west. So there's four in the east, they're big and bad. There are five in the west, and these include Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And these are along what's called the King's Highway. And, and it's basically right near the Dead Sea. At the base of the Dead Sea, there is this plain. In fact, I got a picture of it. John Williams and I went uh, in 2019, and I'll show you just a picture. It's a landscape right here. This is what the battle, uh, uh, where this battle is gonna take place before the kingdom, four kingdoms of the West and the five of the East is gonna take place. And it looks like this, and the Dead Sea is there. This is the Southern Dead Sea. And in fact, when we 
we were here, we got out uh, and we're walking around and uh, there's a, another picture I want you to see. I asked our guide who had a dry sense of humor. I said, hey, where is Sodom? Is this where Sodom would be? And uh, go ahead and put that other picture up. He, uh, he looked at this bush and he said, yeah, Sodom, uh, you're standing on it. In fact, he pointed to this bush and he said, in fact, that's the monument to Sodom. That's, that's the entrance to Sodom. You know, you're here. And so I took my picture next to the gates of Sodom for you. But uh, all that to just kind of, when, you, when we're talking about this, this is a real place and this battle actually happened uh, on this kind of flat land that's, uh, that, that's going on. And what, the reason for the battle is this. The four kings... Were, uh, had conquered the five kingdoms, okay? And they would pay tribute. These five kingdoms of the West would have to pay tribute or pay a, a tax or a tithe or whatever back to uh, specifically the king of Babylon or what was going to be Babylon. It was Shinar, a guy named Cheddar Lamar, okay? Okay? And so you don't need to remember that except for the fact that they're paying every, for 12 years, they're just paying this tax, paying this tax. And then the 13th year, they think, you know what? We're done paying this tax. And so whenever, one of the things that's weird about that is there's kind of like we've got baseball and football season. They had war season, okay? It was a little different game back then. And once a season, you couldn't do it all year, but once a season, they would go, and the kings would look around and say, who's invading our territory or who is not paying us or whatever. And they would go wage a campaign and right all of the people who were wronging them, whatever that looked like. And so the kings of the West, the four kings decide, you know what? They quit paying this tribute. It's go time. Let's go. And so they go down and they, they start uh, going to war with all of these five kingdoms. And they meet on this plain in uh, the south of the Dead Sea. And it goes very well for the kings of the east. The four kingdoms defeat the five kingdoms and they, uh, they carry all the booty, all of the, the money, all of the, the, the gold, all of that they take and they go with them, okay? Now, there's one problem, okay? All of these four kingdoms, they, they, they do what they always do. They're just going through, this is what we do every year. We go to war wherever it needs to be. Nothing new, except for this time they messed up. The done messed up, A.A. Ron, yeah, that's, I can't hear. That's all I can hear whenever I hear that. Now, they, 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 they made a, 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 a gruesome mistake, and that is they did not account for the fact that maybe God was doing something in this area. So we're going to jump in at verse 11 real quick. It says, so the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah all, uh, and all their provisions and went their way, and they also took Lot the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, his possessions, and he went on, they went on their way. They make this decision, not only are we gonna take the stuff, we're gonna take the people, and they take Lot, who is Abram's brother, and they had separated, and for some reason, uh, Lot decided, hey, I'm no longer gonna be a wanderer, I wanna go into a city. He went into one of the most wicked cities that there was, and he, he gets taken off as a slave. And somebody from Sodom escapes and they go tell Abram, hey, they took Lot. And, and it says that Abram has 318 trained soldiers, which means that even though he was a peaceful man, he was preparing for war. There's something in there I can't even get into today, but 
check that off as far as he's preparing for war, even as a, as a peaceful guy. And 318 may not sound like a lot. In fact, it's not a lot even for that day. But remember, when we say nations, these are really city-states. These are big cities, but they're not like the United States. They're not like huge, huge, you know, it's probably a thousand people would be a huge army at that time. So 318 is good. And then he, he has some other people that are going to come with him. Some other families are going to come with him. They go up and they end up, Abram uh, divides his forces. They take all the stuff back. And as they're walking back, they're, they're, they're coming back. They've won. They've got all the spoils. They've got all the people that they've rescued from the four kingdoms. And the four kingdoms were defeated. They went back. And now as they're coming back, two people meet Abram. The first one climbs out of a tar pit, which he had hidden in or been thrown in. And that is the king of Sodom. Okay, the king of Sodom comes out and he's like best buddies, you know, all of a sudden with Abram. And then another mysterious guy named Machizeldeck comes. Now, Machizeldeck or Machizeldeck, however you want to say it, is a very, very interesting guy. He comes and Abraham sees him and he, he is blessed. Machizeldeck blesses Abram in the name of Yahweh. And, and then Abram gives him a tithe, a tenth of everything he's just won. And then the, the king of Sodom comes and he says, hey, Abram, just give me my people, that's all. And he says, and, and you can keep all the spoils. Abraham gets mad at the king of Sodom and he says, you know what? I don't want to die from you. And he gives everything back and then they go on their way. That's what happens in the story. And so as we go through it, I at least want you to under, kind of understand that's the gist of the story. The, really the interesting thing about it is, the external battle, the battle without is what I'm going to call it, okay? It's the battle without as in the opposite of within. But we all have these circumstances and understand that, that he felt overwhelmed by this, okay? That the idea of Abram going to battle against Chedor Lamar and, and these big, that was not in his, you know, plan, day, day planner. He was not thinking, that's what I want to do today. It happened to him and, and he was overwhelmed by this. But what I want you to see is that God's promises trump your power. One of the things that we see with Abram is he knows, hey, God's promised me big things. God has promised me big things. And because he's promised me big things, I know I'm going to be victorious or I know I'm going to get through this. I know I'm going to survive this because God has bigger things for me. And, and none of the other kingdoms, none of the other people even have this mindset. But Abram knows he has been spending time with God. And even though he hasn't talked with God in this chapter, every other chapter, it says he's talking with God. His relationship with God is so secure that he knows, you know what? God has made me promises. And even if I don't know how I'm going to beat four kingdoms, I know that God's power trumps my, or God's promises trump my power. You know, when I think about starting this church, you know, this church started from a promise that I went to seminary in 2001 and to get out of seminary early, I could go take this, uh, this um, conference. I went to a conference to get out of this extra credit for a class and it was the intro to church planning. It was a church planning conference. And from that, I felt so clearly just praying of, you know, God put just this passion in my heart of starting a church. And it started in 2001, just this seed that God said, you know, Joel, someday you're gonna plant a church. The thing is, is, Every which way I could screw it up, I tried to screw it up, it seems like, okay? My, 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 my you know, wisdom was not enough, I'll tell you that. My power and strength was not enough, but one thing that kept happening is people would come to me and say, you know what, Joel, this is not gonna work. People just, you can't just start churches. They just don't, it's not how things work. But I knew God made this promise, and more and more, even as I was not enough, God just began to build this promise. 
and it overcame all of my weakness. And, and so the first thing I want you to think about is this the exterior battles you're facing right now. There's one thing you can see in the story is you may not think your job is ever going to change. You better not. You may not think you're going to be able to, to get through the season that you're in or come out of the season that you're in. But one of the things that I just want to say is God has made promises to you. And those promises are more than your power or your strength or your goodness or your knowledge or any other thing. You see, God has made promises. You're never going to go hungry. You're never going to go homeless. Do you know that? You know, you've got a church family. We're, we're going to make sure when you, are, when you are pursuing God and you're, we're going to make sure that the promises of God rest on your life, even if you can't see it. We're going to step up because that's what God has called us to. He has made promises that you don't have to, to wonder if you're going to make it through your season. This church is going to fight for you because God has called us. His spirit is in you. You know that, that you're never alone, even when you feel alone. Abram always knows that, that, that he's got God with him. And we have the same thing. Jesus says, you are the Holy Spirit. Your spirit dwells within you, that there is nothing that's going to seize you that is not, uh, not only common to men, but that, not has been, that has been overcome by Christ on the cross. So I just want to make sure we know there is nothing out there that is more powerful than the promises of God. And so Abram cannot lose this battle. He feels he can. He doesn't know he can't. But what, what he doesn't know is that the power of God is so present in these promises that, that, that even kings coming against him cannot be victorious. But what's interesting about this story to me is the interaction on the way back from the battle. Because to me, that's where the, the real battle of this story occurs. Now, you may not have... have uh, seen it the first time as I was going through it, but the battle within to me was more challenging than the battle without. He knew he had to go fight this battle to free his, his nephew. He knew that was going to happen, and so he did the best he could. But coming back, he's, he's got this dilemma, you know what I mean? I remember when I was in fifth grade, I, uh, I got into a fist fight. I got into two fist fights in fifth grade. Fifth, but one of them, I was playing soccer. I got off the soccer field. I'm walking up, and a guy just hits me in the jaw. And, and I couldn't help it because it kind of hit my nose, so it tears up, you know what I mean? And then I remember Melissa Woodward started, looked at me, and she said, you're crying. And I was, I was so embarrassed that this girl saw, and I had a little blood coming off my lip. And, and, and I was just bawling. And I had to walk all the way to the nurse's office while little Joel, you know, is crying. And meanwhile, I just remember looking back and this kid, even though he's in trouble, he's laughing. And I went home that night and I just cried and cried because getting beat up was nothing compared to just the humiliation I felt. Just the, the battle within to me is always harder than the battle without. And that's what we don't see when we look at, at people around us. We see they're going through these tough family times or these tough jobs, but we never see that just that wrestling of, am I always going to feel this lonely? Am I always going to feel like everyone else is making it and I'm not? Am I always going to feel like God is not going to move in my life like he seems to be moving in everyone else's life? And so Abram, he's walking back and the king of Sodom, who's broke, by the way, he's lost everything. Abram now owns everything the king of Sodom had, okay? Understand the dynamic here. All the power is with one guy, and it is Abram, okay? So the king of Sodom, he jumps up, and, and he's like, hey, Abram. But before we get to the interaction between Sodom, this guy, Mechizedek, jumps in. And immediately, Abram gives him a tithe, the tenth of everything he has. Now this, we'll, we'll get into why he does it to him specifically, but I want to talk just a little bit about why. This is the first mention of the word tithe as well. 
Maybe you've heard that in church, and you're like, oh, here we go, money, okay? I want to just talk about this for a second, though, that tithe simply means a tenth. And Abram does it uh, the same, for the same reasons that you and I give a tithe or give generously. And that is, he does it, first of all, as a statement of thanksgiving. He says, you know what? I didn't win this battle. God won this battle for me. God didn't, I, I didn't get all this stuff. God blessed me with this stuff. Therefore, he gave, first of all, as thanksgiving. God, thank you for what you've done. And he also, it's a statement of faith. He's saying, you know what? I believe that, that I don't have to hold on to this because if God can give me this, he, he's the maker of heaven and earth. He can give me whatever. So I'm gonna trust in faith that he's gonna keep blessing me, that he's going to keep taking care of me, that I'm never going to be uh, in want because I have a, a relationship with a God who loves me. So the first, uh, so what I want you to see with the battle of, uh, uh, within is the best advice that I can give you is what he does. And that is that generosity wins the battle within. Generosity wins the battle within. He gives this tithe. And by the way, I love the tithe as a principle. I want to make sure we know whenever we give in this church, we never say, hey, if you're not tithing, God doesn't love you. That would never come out of my mouth unless I'm telling you that's not coming out of my mouth, right? Now, we would never say, you know what, you're, you're not right with God because you're not giving enough. That is not what, the, what, the, what this is about. What this is about is it's faith and it's thanksgiving. This is joy. It's a cheerful giver. It's him saying, you know what, I, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make sure that it's enough for me to, to show you, God, I'm thankful for it. But it's also enough that, that I, I'm really trusting you with it. And the reason I like the, the tenth, you may give more than that, you may give them less than that. I really don't care. It doesn't change anything we know with me, but when you think about your relationship with God, I want to encourage you to at least think about a percentage, preferably 10, because for this reason, if you think you're poor and you don't have enough, a 10th is a huge amount of money. It's enough that you have to sit down. I remember 20 years ago, we were, uh, we were broke as a joke and I had to sit down with my wife and we made a budget on 90% to figure out how we could tithe. And we didn't tithe for a few months, but you just wanted to see if we could. That's not the way I would recommend it. It wasn't the boldest step of faith, but just to align 100% to where we, we began to say, you know what? Instead of just spending you know, willy-nilly on what I want, I'm gonna keep my, it was $30. For years, it was $30. We bumped it up just to like $10 uh, about a few years ago because, you know, we made it. Um, but anyway, we had this $30 that we spend and got to eat, whatever, and no one. But then everything else is just allotted to bills. And it was enough. So it was enough as a step of faith. I had to reorient my life to say, you know what, God, I'm thankful for everything. That, and, and I want to give this Thanksgiving. But if you're rich or if you, if you have enough and you're not worried about your daily bread or next week's daily bread or daily bread, you know, 10 years from now, if you know, okay, I'm kind of in, a tenth is a lot of money. You have this other battle of, man, I don't know if I can give a tenth. That's a lot. And so you have this, this faith. You know what, God, I'm going to give. A, this is a lot of money. And so I like the fact that, the, that this, this idea of the tithe works both ways. And so I just want to encourage you when you think about it as a cheerful giver, don't think about the, 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 the number of I've got to do this for God to love me, but think about all of the ways it, it impacts your life in your faith and thanksgiving. But all that's saying, it's not just about money. He also gives glory to God. This is what it says in verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me your persons, but you keep the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand. He's making an oath. I have lifted my hand to the Lord, the most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abraham or Abram rich. What he's, what he's concerned about is this. 
He's concerned about the fact that he knows God is blessing him. He knows that God's hand is on him. And if he, even though he doesn't know anything, if he keeps any of it, someday, you know, maybe in a year, maybe in 10 years, the king of Sodom is going to be over there broke as a joke. And he's going to see, his people are going to say, man, Abram sure is doing well over there. And he's going to say, well, you know why he's rich, right? That used to be all my stuff, but I gave it to him. I made him rich. So Abram says, you know, if I do this, then God is not going to get the glory for this. If I keep your stuff, you're always going to point people away from God. And so Abram gives all of the stuff, even though he doesn't have to give a dime of it. He gives everything except for what, what is owed to the people who fought with him. And he gives it all back simply so when they look and see the blessing on Abraham or Abram, they can never say, well, the king of Sodom, he was a part of, you know, he, he just won these, what, you, can't, you can't look at him. Every time you see him, you're going to say, man, that's all God. That was all God. And so he said, he makes sure, hey, I will give up all my stuff, he says, so that the name of God gets the glory. If you have battles within, if you're wondering, man, if you just feel overwhelmed by the way life is hitting you, I'm telling you, it's, it's counterculture, it's counter, it's counter uh, thinking, but this is what you should do. You should, you should ask yourself, how can I give in this moment? What can I give? Maybe it's financial. But maybe it's your, maybe, you know, maybe it's praise. Maybe you're having struggle with your family, your kids. And maybe rather than just getting on them one more time, which I get, don't get me wrong, I get. But maybe you should say, you know what? I'm going to give praise not only to, to God for, for blessing my family, but I'm going to give praise to my child. I'm going to look for a way to praise them. And I'm going to speak life. Giving Giving, giving, getting, giving, not getting. That's the priority of this church. That is a priority in this church. We value giving over getting. Now, maybe it's, it's giving your time. You know, uh, every month we've started volunteering. In fact, on your notes, there's a little button you can click if you want to sign up to give. I, I did that strategically, right? Now, I want to encourage you to start giving of your time and think, you know what, if I just serve, even in my battles, the way, I'll tell you, when, when I was at my lowest in the depressions that I felt growing up, my lowest, the quickest way to get out of a depression for me was whenever I would serve someone else or do something nice for someone else, no matter how it is. And I think you'll find it's the same for you, even if it's taking a meal to someone, even if it's just going and making sure someone else feels better. That is the quickest way to get out of a depression or to get to, to win the battle with them. I'm telling you, if you'll just look, how can I give in this situation? Give glory to God, even in your battles within. But now I want to blow your mind, okay? Now I want to show you how you've got the battles without, the battles within, but now I want to show you something that you probably have never heard. I want to show you that the battle was won before it ever began, okay? And, and this to me is incredible. Okay, we're going to jump into the New Testament a little bit because this guy, Mechizeldek, is a very intriguing guy. In fact, the Old Testament writers, they write about him. The New Testament writers, they write about him. And, and, and the one thing I want you to see is he comes from nowhere, okay? We don't know anything really about him, okay? This is what Hebrews 7, 3 says. It says, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Now, this is what this means. It's not saying that he was some sort, sort of God. It's saying, hey, we, he shows up in Genesis. He has no lineage like everyone else in Genesis does. If you've ever read through it, you're like, man, one more lineage. Yay. Okay. He has nothing. He just shows up. 
He has no death or no beginning. He just shows up and he's, and he's a priest. Next thing I want you to see is he's closer to God than Abram. And we don't think about this. Okay, in Hebrews 7, 7, this is the way the, the author says it. He says, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. You know, the, the blessing is given from the superior person. And in this one, Mechizeldek is the one who blesses Abram, meaning he is the authority. He's the spiritual authority. And in fact, the, the writer of Hebrews goes on and says, you know what? He, you, you give a tenth to someone when they're superior to you. And, you know, you, the church isn't giving you a tithe. You're giving the church a tithe because you say the church is the vehicle for God, right? So the fact that Abram gives a tithe says, you know what? Mechizeldek is, is a priest of Yahweh out of nowhere. And he is closer to God than Abram. And we never heard of him. And so... The next thing I want to do, just to blow your mind on this, is Mechizedek is, prophecy, is a prophecy of the Messiah. Now, follow me, and this, this may, if this is your first go-round on, on history, I, you might, a couple years from now, you're going to be like, oh, I get it, okay? Now, there are two mountains, Mount Moriah, Mount Zion. They are what we know as Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits on these two mountains, okay? Now, King David, he writes this psalm from a throne on Mount Zion, from a throne that he's sitting in Jerusalem. He's the king of Jerusalem, King David, okay? He's the Israelite king, and he sits, and he says this in Psalms 110. He said, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter the kings on the day of his wrath. King David sitting on a throne in Jerusalem, prophesies. He says, there is going to be someday a day of the Lord that's going to shatter all the kings, and it's going to be of the order of Mechizeldek, the king that was here on Jerusalem before I ever was, that was closer to God than Abram, even before Abram got to the area. So there's this king, David, that prophesies, you know what, just as before Israel ever got to Jerusalem, there is going to be a king someday that's going to come. And he's not, this is what you need to, to, to wrap your mind around. He's not going to be a Levite. He's not going to be a priest from Abraham's line. He's going to be better than that. Now, this is what you've got to understand. Is Melchizedek is a priest, but he is not, you know, Moses hasn't happened yet. The law hasn't happened yet. None of that stuff has happened yet. Melchizedek is, we don't know anything about him except for God has already put a king that's worshiping him on the throne in Jerusalem. This should blow our mind. There is a lineage that you've never heard of that is not traced, that is a lineage there that David who has the Levites, who has these priests, he says, you know what, there's a better lineage. And it's a lineage someday that is going to conquer everything. And when Mechizedek came, he came and he brought this bread and water. And he did it not as a prophecy, probably. He probably, I mean, in his mind, just was a guy saying, hey, here's an army coming, let me give you some food. But what's fascinating is that before Abram was ever called, and we read our Bibles as if, you know, the, the history of God started when he started moving in this nation of Israel. But what we find with Melchizedek is God can work in so many ways that we had never even thought. So you're fighting battles right now. And maybe in your mind you think, you know, God doesn't work that way. 
I guarantee you, the Levites thought, you know, I know how God works. Uh, all of the Pharisees, all of the people that interact, I know how God works. And no one ever considered that God might be working in some random king years before Abram would ever get there. And that just as we don't know anything about that lineage, that there is a lineage that is closer to God than anyone could ever imagine. And when David says that he is gonna be of the order of Melchizedek, he is prophesying, he may not know it, he's prophesying according to Hebrews about Jesus, who is our high priest and is closer to God than anyone can possibly be because he is the son of God. And so to close, I thought it would just be an impactful way for us to celebrate communion because you can't talk about the fact that this high priest brings bread and wine to, to, to his servant Abram without at least being drawn to the words of Jesus. So right now I'm gonna invite the band up and if you don't have uh, um, the communion elements, uh, we'll make sure you get those. John has them over here. So raise your hand if you, if you need communion elements. But I wanna talk just a, a moment about communion. You see, before Jesus went to the cross, he had already begun to proclaim himself as the Messiah, as the, uh, the order of Melchizedek. But one of the things that we do when we celebrate communion is we just take kind of part in what Jesus did for us. Now, if you're not a believer, if this is, this is something new to you, then, I, then you can just observe and just know why we're doing this, okay? We do this to participate in the fact that we're saying, you know what, we believe that, that we have communion, that, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us. We believe that we have a communion with God because of what Jesus did. And so we partake in this because Jesus taught us this way. I'm going to read from the book of uh, uh, 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what Paul says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. At this point, you can go ahead, by the way, and open the top layer. This is kind of a little compartment and take the wafer out. Paul says, I'm going to pass on what I, what I, what, what I was passed on. The night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus' body was broken for us. The battle for us has already been won. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take a knee. go ahead and open the next element, the juice. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And drink. powerful thing when we're fighting these battles without and battles within to know that God had our savior in mind before he even called Abram to go in fact John says it this way in the beginning was the word and the word was with God the word was God from the beginning he had you and your battles without and battles within already won I know that this has been a tough year with the battles without. And so I can't imagine some of the battles within that we're fighting in this church. I know of some of them. I myself am fighting some of them. 
But I just want to remind us that the victory is already won and it was won by our Savior who was prophesied from the order of Melchizedek on the cross. But the thing about it is we never proclaim Jesus on the cross, dying for your sins, taking away your sins, forgiving every sin that you've done and every sin you will ever do. He is not in love with a future version of you. He knows your sins. He knows your weakness. And he has made a way through the blood of Christ. But Jesus did not stay on the cross. We have an empty tomb. Jesus rose from the dead. And that is why we have confidence. Over 500 people where I witnessed and said, I saw him on a cross. I saw him dead and buried and I saw him walking again. We have a savior that overcomes death itself. There is no battle you're fighting that God did not prepare you for and that God did not already defeat. So it's right now, I'm just gonna invite you. Let's stand up. And instead of closing a prayer, I think I'm just gonna go ahead and let's just worship.